Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Welcome to Poetry for the Intimidated. I'm Seamus Dobbin, and in this podcast I'll be talking with my dad, Jim, about poetry and why we like it, how we read it, and how not to worry about doing it wrong. The poem you just heard is called Fire and Ice, and it's by the poet we're talking about today, Robert Frost. It's a good, uh, it's a, he's a good introduction to poetry because he's quite folksy, quite accessible. Mm-hmm. You can usually get the meaning on the surface. This particular poem has some of his humor and some of his twists mm-hmm. that keep it very interesting. I think it is just a nice little showcase of how he's able to deal with something little and comical at the same time that he's dealing with these big metaphysical concerns and questions, right? Um, that's going to be a theme that I think a few of the poems that we're going to look at today. Yes, yeah, so it seems to be a trait of his to kind of undercut and laugh at himself when he gets right. too pontificating or too uh, philosophical or mm-hmm. too... That's Just too grandiose, one. yeah. He exactly. starts very grand on this one. Some say the world will end in fire. That's a big topic. Yeah. Some say in ice. And then mm-hmm. he gets more chatty right away. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate. Mm-hmm. A little bit on the other hand, one hand on the <laughs> other hand. And the rhythm of it as well is quite... Uh, yeah, it's a really regular nur- nursery rhyme kind of rhythm Nursery as well, kind right? of bouncy kind of, yeah. As you say, it's like he's giving a toast yeah. to the end of the world or something like that. It has that kind of flavor to Which it, is, is, but still dealing with a, quite a heavy sure. theme. A toast for the end of the world is something that we need this year, I think. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's very relevant. Um, There's quite a few well-known poems right. in Robert's service that we... Most of us study <laughs> There are also Robert's quite a few Robert, well-known poems of Robert Frost. But, Robert Frost. Yeah. So you're primed. You have these posters from your Robert Service show behind I've you. I've said Robert Service so often. That's true, yeah. My dad was in a play about another Robert a few years ago, the poet Robert Service, who wrote tales of the Yukon and the Gold Rush. We'll get to him in a bit, but today it's Robert Frost. I know this one I studied in grade 7. I remember that uh, <laughs> because part of it was your study in poetry that was so meaningful and mm-hmm. uh, so profound. Right. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake, to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds is a sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. It is exhausting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or it sounds like uh, the reading of it that you're doing is, is exhausted, right? Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> that, for that last verse, there's something else underneath that line. <laughs> repeat it. Once it's repeated, it takes on a different significance That's right, the yeah. second time. Which is a trait of 
Frost that we'll see in other poems as well, mm -hmm. to go from the very concrete, very specific first uh, few stanzas, are very specific with very specific images and sounds and sights that puts us exactly in the picture. Mm. And we get kind of a Christmas card picture here mm -hmm. that, uh, that is quite genuine, nevertheless, even though it's a little stereotypical, I suppose, mm. but it's quite genuine, and we feel like we're right. really there. So he tends to go from that concrete, specific world and then leap into the mm -hmm. world of metaphysics and uh, <laughs> uh, using the physical to get beyond the physical. But he's, he's sly to do it because he doesn't like to come out and pontificate. It's that kind of move that makes me love poetry. That's the most important thing about it, I think, is the poetic attention you give to something. You put something in a certain frame, you see it in a, a very focused way just for a second. So with a line like that that's repeated, that's given that kind of specific attention, it does make you stop and say, oh, wait, okay, someone put this here for a reason. I'm going to go look at it. I'm going to impart all kinds of meaning to it. There's no way to not do that, right? No, it's a, he's inviting you to do that, even though he's mm -hmm. not telling you exactly what to, what to believe, yeah. but it certainly invites you to think of on a different level. There's I have promises to keep. I have yeah. things to do. I, I'd like to stop and just be... Mm -hmm and absorb this scene, but I have I have places I have to go, time is driving me on, so I have to I have to keep going until I sleep. Which obviously is could be the the sleep in the literal sense and then the mm -hmm. sleep of the sleep of death yeah. where we rest in peace, as it <laughs> were. As much as I don't love to sit and just decode a poem and like take mm -hmm. a literal meaning out of it, it's really hard not to do that on some level, right? No, you're like invited to do yeah. it. That's part of the fun. Of yeah. it. That's part of the joy of it, mm -hmm. is that you're thinking on two or three different levels at the same time. Right. Even though he doesn't address that level straight on as you would in philosophy. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. do, you, do you remember what that invitation felt like in grade seven, or did it feel like an invitation well, at the time, eye, right? It was a bit of an eye-opener in grade seven, okay. because you're just getting to the age where you're starting to think abstractly, and you're going, ooh, this can mean something very different from just a literal, mm -hmm. the literal meaning. I remember that being kind okay, of a, okay. an eye opener and a, mm -hmm. and much more uh, sort of awaken my philosophical <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mind. Yeah, children's poetry, your nursery rhymes and things, all very literal, and that's the kind of stuff that you can you can read meaning into it or something, but it doesn't quite have the same invitation right it doesn't it doesn't quite leave that door open not for not for that level yeah but it, it maybe it does but it, it does it unconscious you know sure it appeals to your the child's unconscious yeah. i don't think a child consciously considers those things mm -hmm. through poetry but you do get you do get the images and you get the uh, sound of the language as well which is what draws right. us to poetry to begin with and i think that's something that robert frost uses in the poems that we're looking at today um things like a very regular meter a very regular beat mm -hmm. or something and, and rhyming schemes and things like that keeps um, it memorable keeps it kind of childlike yeah uh, so we look at the world in a childlike innocent way i suppose if you're reading poetry for the first time or listening to it right maybe it's difficult to see that i don't know um no but as you say there's not meant to be just uh, read once and yeah. uh, tossed out these are sure. poems you can keep going back to and you notice things uh, 
differently each time. And especially if you say them out loud, they tend to, mm-hmm. you tend to get the taste of those words and yeah. it becomes clearer, actually, rather than more obscure, even though there's more image there's more, and more, there's more, information, more to pay right? attention to. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a lot of information packed into one little yeah. poem. I, I feel pretty good about it if I walk away from a poem the first time reading it just with a mood or with a right. um, yeah. with a general sense about it, right? Yeah. You already know the next poem we're about to look at, but it's also been called the most misread poem in America. Don't worry. Take a listen, and we'll figure it out. All right. The road less traveled. <laughs> you've been calling it. You've been I calling mean, the road half, not taken. You've been calling it half a dozen things as well. But, That's yeah. right. The road not taken. It's different. Robert it's Service. different in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, the road not taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And this one, of course, uh, is very interesting because it often gets written on t-shirts and bumper stickers and... Mm -hmm. uh, signs everywhere as a great life lesson. What often gets missed is the humor in it mm-hmm. and the uh, even self-deprecating humor. The, the fact that he talks about the road not taken, but he spends two stanzas talking about them really being just about the same mm-hmm. and they've trodden down about the same more or less, uh, who knows. Really so the joke up. is that then he imagines himself years later not not saying that, not saying, oh, two roads, uh, two roads parted in the wood, and I, I just took one of them yeah. by chance. No, I, I took, I've got to make a story out of this, and I've got to make a lesson out of this, mm-hmm. and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Mm-hmm. But the poem doesn't support that. <laughs> I did read somewhere that uh, he wrote this poem in, to a friend that he used to go walking with, mm-hmm. and the friend would always get quite... Uh, stressed out when they had to choose which way to go and he would get stressed out what if I go this way and it's, I make the wrong decision what if mm-hmm. I go the other way and that sort of thing this is what sparked the poem and I think he's gently poking fun at that right. <laughs> but also it's a tendency we all have to want to make more of our particular decisions make mm-hmm. meaning out of it where yeah. there was no particular meaning so he's able to Twist this story to make some meaning. Right. I'm, I'm very familiar with the um, sensation or with the little uh, mental move of saying, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just putting this aside for now over here. I'll come back to this whenever I want to. I can right. totally do that. Yeah. Uh, even though I know in the moment that's not, that's not very likely. Knowing how way leads on way, I doubt if I should ever come back. Yeah. Yes, we, uh, we never come back to the second mm-hmm. choice very often. 
Which puts a lot of stress on the first choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's a stressful situation no matter no matter what. What if I go down this but what's what yeah. life forces you into? What if I take this path, then I can't take the other path mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. As Yogi Berra said, you see a fork in a road, take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we can't, obviously. Yeah. And I think it's a it's a really compact uh, way of making fun of the thing we all do, which is telling stories about our own life or making ourselves the um, the central character in our story and seeing the arc to that story as well seeing the ah yes you know a big I mean? drama being played out here yeah. yes <laughs> and i am the dramatic hero yeah. in this story even though i'm just out for a little stroll in the woods i can turn that into a this is some part of the hero's journey is this big decision that's right yeah and if i'm going to write a poem about it it better be important right too if I'm going to recite this, I better make it sound like an important chapter, right? Like a this is a big turning point. This is some dramatic confrontation. It's very interesting because at the same time, it is quite important. It is something <laughs> we all experience, that sort of freezing in the moment, trying mm-hmm. to make decisions, trying to make a choice, left, right, so on. And But in school, you, would, uh, you were drawn to that conclusion, that, oh, yes, <laughs> he took the road less traveled by, and that... That uh, made him uh, able to uh, discover things yeah. and find his own way through life and so on. But it's not the case at all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's just limited to school either, right? Because it's, yeah. Uh, but in culture, yeah. yeah. The, well, the the this is the difference between what's on the page versus the poem as like a cultural artifact or touchstone or something, mm-hmm. right? It's just transformed into oh, this is just a line that people say when they. When they say, I'm an individual, I'm a... I'm a uh, well, as you say, those American motifs and uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Lone Ranger and the Outsider yeah. and the... Outlaw frontiersman. And the Frontiersman. I, yeah. I took the road less traveled by. I took right. I went my own... I went my own direction. I marched to the beat of my own drummer. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yes, it appeals to that in yeah. all of us, of course. If he gets uh, philosophical and gets... Uh, so stating it so blatantly here, mm-hmm. you you got to think there's something sly going on <laughs> here. He's laughing at himself, and that's really what the poem is about. I you think. don't see a lot of frost punching down, do you? He no, no. Targeting other people. No, it's gentle so humor, yeah. often at himself or at the fact that he is human. That's what we all kind of chuckle at. Even the the story that he wrote this for his friend, it's quite a a gentle kind of story, mm-hmm. I think. And kind of making fun of his friend so gently at yeah, the end, yeah. even though, as if uh, making this decision was so big that it's going to determine the rest of my life. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's part of what the poem is yeah. saying. I mean, the alternative is to stand there forever and not exactly. make, and not make a choice. And knowing that it's arbitrary makes it harder to make, right? Mm-hmm. You have nothing to base it on yeah. other than, I think I'll go this way because. <laughs> yes. Every decision is time-sensitive in the sense that Life has to go on. Life has, like, yeah. I have promises to keep. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can't just stop and stop. wait for the perfect decision to arrive or whatever. Or just stall there forever. Yeah. It's the only other choice. And interesting to me that you make you make it have meaning afterwards. Mm-hmm. You look back years hence and then you make it have meaning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I can imagine myself making meaning out of this. Mm-hmm. But we smooth over a lot of decisions That's in right. life, right? That's right. But it's still it's still terrifying and paralyzing because even the most insignificant choices are things that we will attach significance to after the fact, exactly. right? There's no yeah. going through life 
seeing things as arbitrary or insignificant. That's true, yeah. It pictures us as the kind of beings that can't help it. We, yeah. have, to, we have to, if we see a, a cloud formation, we have to find a pattern. Mm-hmm. We have to find, if we look at an ink block, we have to find significance right. in that. Somehow. It's it's automatic it's processing. Automatic. It's not something that you can think about or escape. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, it's like an instinct, a human instinct mm-hmm. to do that. That's a good thing that uh, Frost is often on about. He often laughs at cliches mm. of ways we have of summing up the world right. to make it easier to live. A lot of his poems begin with nostalgia directed towards his childhood, and they deal with the natural world as well, as in Birches, the next poem we're going to look at. Birches. When I see birches bend to left and right across the lines of straighter, darker trees, I like to think some boy has been swinging them. But swinging doesn't bend them down to stay as ice storms do. Often you must have seen them loaded with ice a sunny winter morning after a rain. They click up on themselves as the breeze rises and turn many colored as a stir cracks and crazes their enamel. Soon the sun's warmth makes them shed crystal shells shattering and avalanching on the snow crust. Such heaps of broken glass to sweep away you'd think the inner dome of heaven had fallen. They are dragged to the withered bracken by the load, and they seem not to break, though once they are bowed so low for long they never right themselves. You may see their trunks arching in the woods years afterwards, trailing their leaves on the ground like girls on hands and knees that throw their hair before them over their heads to dry in the sun. But I was going to say, when truth broke in with all her matter-of-fact about the ice storm, I should prefer to have some boy bend them as they went out and in to fetch the cows. Some boy too far from town to learn baseball, whose only play was what he found himself, summer or winter, and could play alone. One by one he subdued his father's trees by riding them down over and over again until he took the stiffness out of them, and not one but hung limp, not one was left for him to conquer. He learned all there was to learn about not launching out too soon and so not carrying the tree away clear to the ground. He always kept his poise to the top branches, climbing carefully with the same pains you use to fill a cup up to the brim and even above the brim. Then he flung outward, feet first with a swish, kicking his way down through the air to the ground. So was I once myself a swinger of birches, and so I dream of going back to be. It's when I'm weary of considerations and life is too much like a pathless wood where your face burns and tickles with the cobwebs broken across it and one eye is weeping from a twig's having lashed across it open. I'd like to get away from earth a while and then come back to it and begin over. May no fate willfully misunderstand me and half grant what I wish and snatch me away not to return. Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. I'd like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow-white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more, but dipped its top and set me down again. That would be good both going and coming back. One could do worse than be a swinger of birches.
Again, it's very conversational, but written in fairly tight iambic pentameter, if you want to well, sure, if you, scan it. <laughs> if, you, if you break but it But it has a very that, strict yeah. form, and you can sense that it's a poem rather than just a conversation. Mm-hmm. You can sense that sort of uh, constriction or limits that are placed upon it that give it that uh, beauty and form. Mm-hmm. There's this connection with nature really comes out in this poem, this idea of being connected to the earth, mm. that uh, he's a very earthy poet, <laughs> that we belong to the earth. We don't, uh, we are not something separate from nature. It is part of that, but it's also mm. about momentarily getting away from the earth, right? From yes, It's about so playing that, with that connection and disconnection. Yes, you know? that contradictory uh, sense of, of the earth being restricting, of mm-hmm. uh, the whips and scorns of time mm-hmm. that we have to... <laughs> put up with in this earthly existence he's aware of that as well but he wants to leave he wants to break from it but he doesn't want to not come back he doesn't mm-hmm. want to disappear completely um, so what were you saying about what you like about the poem well oh the language yes it's it's weird to make that to make that switch into something that's uh direct sensory well, again, that's how he brings the poem to life. That's, yeah. You get that uh, alliteration and the old onomatopoeia that we learned about in grade seven too. Mm-hmm. That sense of the the sounds of the words creating the creating the reality and creating mm-hmm. the meaning. That's why it works. That's why it works. It makes it memorable and makes it pleasant to mm-hmm. listen to and kind of exciting to listen to. Mm-hmm. The way that the sound and the meaning comes together in poetry is uh, is very specific. Very I like specific to poetry. Yeah. Yeah. At least, or to poetic language or something, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, like, that's what poetic language is, I would yeah. say. It's not a bad definition of mm-hmm. poetic language. The feeling and the meaning is in the sound. Mm-hmm. It's in the sensory experience. It's not just the literal meaning of the words on it's the page, but it's the way they come it's together. It's an abstract idea. It's a concrete, mm-hmm. and that's kind of part of what he's saying in this poem, mm-hmm. is that the meaning is a concrete living thing mm-hmm. that I experience now. And that's what he's talking about, life being tied to the earth, that it's specific and concrete and real. But he can jump from that, in this poem especially, seems like halfway through he all of a sudden gets very philosophical and self-consciously, sure. self-consciously poetic. Yeah, and but this one has a bigger, this one has a bigger, more direct turn than, right. uh, than some other stuff, right? He really moves to another level, then right. pulls himself back right away. It's a really great move, though, because you do get swept up in it for a second there. Exactly. You lose your breath trying to get all of it out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, right. well, okay. So, anyway, back to this back to conversational the story. mode. Sure yeah. I talk about this boy again. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and imagining who this boy is, it brings mm-hmm. it back to a specific concrete image. It's a really jarring thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's pretty great. Very to, brave. Just to, <laughs> it's... Um, disruptive to break the fourth wall essentially is mm-hmm. what it's doing yeah right? exactly yeah the end here often in in the at the end of his poems he does jump up and as we talked about before mm-hmm. sort of jumping up to this metaphysical spiritual level obviously it suggests all kinds of other things beyond the literal mm-hmm. <laughs> swinging of birches uh, a part of leaving this earth and leaving this life and or even leaving it temporarily, perhaps through mm-hmm. poetry, and then being brought back down to earth. Uh, suggests to me, that, again, this theme of not getting too far away from earth. You can climb, mm-hmm. 
toward heaven or something. Mm-hmm. There's something quite uh, spectacular about that. But you don't want to end up in heaven. You want to you want to be let down into the earth again because we're not made for heaven. Hmm. We're made for the earth. But we're made to yearn for heaven and to to uh, to reach out reach out for the stars, but not to not to live there. I like that real ambivalence that you find, exactly, right? Yeah. The love hate relationship with hanging on to the present reality or letting that go. I like this thing too, this sort of reflection back to the road not taken. Mm-hmm. When he says uh, Life is too much like a pathless wood yeah. where your face burns and tickles with the cobwebs broken across it and one eye is weeping from the twigs having lashed across it open. I'd like to get away from Earth for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not quite the same um, feeling at the end of the other poem that I took the road less traveled yeah. and that has been made it worthy. No, the road yeah. less traveled is kind of dirty and painful. And, well, they're all they're all yeah. dirty and painful. Yeah. And, but especially and a pathless wood. Especially a pathless wood. He makes mm-hmm. a point of saying being in a pathless wood. That's ultimately what you want to do. You want to leave the poem alive, not leave it dead and cut mm-hmm. open on the table. You want it, <laughs> you want it breathing and, uh, and living, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. That still open to possibility and open right. to growth. Robert Frost said that poetry was a momentary stay against confusion. For as confusing as poetry can sometimes be at a first reading, it can offer insight that is hard to rival with other forms of writing and storytelling. We hope that this show will help bring poetry a little closer to you. Our music is by the delightful Dylan Goldbach. Thank you for listening to this episode of Poetry for the Intimidated. My name is Jim Dobbin. I'm Seamus Dobbin. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.